mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Findlay City Schools and local law enforcement have taken unprecedented steps to address fears of gun violence ahead of the new school year. Are students as safe as they can possibly be? Also this morning, Blanchard Valley Health System's Dr. Bill Coase shares his reaction to news that the CDC will be restructuring its operations to improve timeliness and accountability in the wake of pandemic missteps. And new data from CreditCards.com finds Americans are collectively sitting on $21 billion in unused gift cards, vouchers, and store credits at a time when money is tighter than ever. Industry analyst Ted Rossman explains how to unlock all that value. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Watch out for those kids uh, heading back to class today uh, as you are heading off to work or whatever it is that you're doing this morning. We mentioned yesterday on the program, kids are not paying attention to you. They've got other things on their mind. They're ready to get back to class and their new uh, new teachers, you know, meeting up with friends again and getting back into the routine of things. They've got those things and they're not thinking about uh about drivers and safety and and all of that. I know they should be, but uh, you know they're they're distracted. So don't you be as you are uh, heading out this morning. If you need a reason to celebrate today, hug your sweetheart day. Isn't that sweet? Also, it is buttered corn day. <laughs> so you can decide for yourself which of those is more exciting. Uh, National Sponge Cake Day, it is Ride the Wind Day, and National Cheap Flight Day today. So, I don't know how many cheap flights are out there, but it is what it is. So, this was big news yesterday. I don't know if you heard about this. Dr. Anthony Fauci has announced that he is retiring after 38 years as the nation's top infectious disease doctor. Um... He is the scientist and doctor who guided the U.S. response to the AIDS epidemic. Uh, COVID uh, was the latest one. AIDS, uh, Zika, um, Ebola. You know, there are a lot of uh, big events uh, and potentially big events that he uh, guided the National Institutes of Health through and 38 years of uh, his career. It was a lightning lightning rod of controversy uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I thought that was uh, really interesting. There was a a lengthy piece uh, profiled Dr. Fauci and his career uh, in the Washington Post yesterday after he announced uh, that he would be uh, retiring. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, He talked in it about uh, the controversies that arose out of the AIDS epidemic. And a lot of the a lot of the stuff that he heard during the COVID-19 pandemic was pretty much the same as he had uh, heard in the early days of the AIDS pa- pa- uh, pandemic, that uh, that the NIH was wrong, they were getting it wrong, they didn't know what they were doing, they were moving too slow, they were, you know, all of this, uh, calls for uh, Anthony Fauci to be fired and so on. He said what was uh, different about COVID-19 is that during the AIDS epidemic, he uh, felt as though he could engage his critics and they could have a dialogue and find common ground and move forward together. And it seemed like uh, it was much more difficult to do during the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, a lot more political polarization uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. But I thought it was really interesting as he compared those two uh, significant events 
that he oversaw in his career. He's 81 years old. He insists that he is not uh, retiring, that he's just uh, transitioning to the new next chapter of his career, but he will uh, be stepping down as uh, head of the uh, uh, NIH at the end of the year. Interesting. Uh, let's see what else is going on here. The first things you need to know this morning. Um, you know that, uh, in California, it's been very dry. There's been an ongoing drought for years in the state of California. Uh, the dropping of the water levels, Lake Mead and Hoover Dam and the Colorado river and, and so on have been very much in the news over the course of the past several months. And in California, residents there face some of the stiffest water restrictions in the country. And again, this is not new. I remember my wife and I visited in California a number of years ago, seven or eight years ago, and uh, we stayed with some family uh, who live out in that area in the Southern California. And uh, you know, we got the, the lecture about short showers and you know conserving water and all of that and it is you really have to adjust uh to that it is uh it is very very different very difficult sometimes to but some of the area's wealthiest residents apparently don't seem to think that the water shortage restrictions apply equally to them an investigation in the la times into water usage through the san fernando valley found that 2,000 residents of Calabasas and Hidden Hills uh, were issued notices of exceedance by the municipal water district, meaning that they had surpassed 150% of their allotted water supply at least four times since the drought was declared. Some of the biggest offenders include NBA superstar Dwayne Wade, uh, comedian Kevin Hart, actor Sylvester Stallone, uh, the Kardashians, all issued notices of exceedance. Uh, the uh, star's excuses ranged from 500 thirsty fruit trees to a broken swimming pool to dry lawns. Huh, heaven forbid! That one of the celebrities should have a dry lawn. <laughs> dry lawns are just for the little people. Now, the, the uh, 65,000 residents of the Los uh, uh, Vernies of Los Vernies. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I have no idea. Uh, but uh, this one wealthy uh, community, uh, the 65,000 residents there consistently use more gallons of water per year than the nearly 4 million residents of Los Angeles. Uh, at times, even tripling the daily water use per resident in L.A., according to data from this investigation in the New York Times. Boy, just another example of entitled celebrities thinking the rules just don't apply to them. <laughs> Interesting. Um, of course, one of the... Things is being blamed on the uh, extreme drought in the West, climate change. And so the experts say one of the best ways to fight climate change is to transition away from fossil fuels. But the biggest hang up for a lot of folks when it comes to electric vehicles uh, is the charging time. Uh, now, Tesla has gotten this down to like 20 minutes 
of uh, charging time to go uh, from basically zero to a full charge uh, with their supercharger network. But for many people, even that's not fast enough. Well, now a new super fast charging method for electric cars could power up a variety of different electric vehicles in just 10 minutes. The goal is to get a stop for a recharge down to about the same amount of time it takes for a stop at the gas station in a traditional vehicle. Researchers say one of the reasons drivers feel reluctant to switch from gas is because electric cars take so much longer. So speeding up the charge uh, is the goal. However, it is a double-edged sword. Speeding up the charge with the batteries that we have now, if you speed it up too much, it can damage the battery and reduce its lifespan. And they are also very expensive to replace. So it's a balancing act. Uh, This new study however, has found a way around the problem of damaging the battery by charging too quickly. Dr. Eric Dufek, the study author, says fast charging is the key to increasing consumer confidence and overall adoption of electric vehicles. Uh, This uh, 10-minute charge would allow vehicle charging to be very similar to filling up at a gas station. If the technology becomes widely available, it could help certain countries achieve their target of ending the sale of gas-powered cars by the end of this decade. Charging the lithium-ion batteries that fuel electric vehicles is a delicate balancing act. Ideally, drivers want to power up as quickly as possible to get back on the road, but with current technology, speeding up the process can do more harm than good. It's kind of interesting. They say that they've got a way around that, but the uh, piece, uh, at least the story that I have here, doesn't say what that way is. So I, uh, I swear, though, we've got a way around it. We can get away around that, but they didn't say what it was, so I guess we'll find out. But that would be, I've often said that the easiest way to do that would be replaceable batteries, hot swappable. You pull into the, the station, kind of like you uh, swap out your propane tank on your gas grill these days. Just take the empty. They've got all of these filled propane tanks. You put, You give them your empty tank, you take one of their full tanks, and you're good to go. If you do the same thing with batteries because right now these batteries are huge they take up like the entire underside of the vehicle if you can reduce the size of the batteries down to the point where you could just pull out the expired battery put in a fresh battery and you're on your way that would be perfect i don't know if that's even possible but that i would think would be the easiest solution anyway they're working on it uh, so this is good news. I, I suppose this is kind of uh, good news. You know that when you come home from work in the evening, you leave in the, in the morning and your dog kind of looks at you with those puppy dog eyes during the pandemic. Uh, our, our pets really liked the fact that we were home all the time. And then we come out of the pandemic, we go back to work and now our dogs look at us with puppy dog eyes. Why are you leaving me? And they're excited when we get home. Well, a new study from, Azabu University in Japan has discovered that your dog actually cries, cries happy tears when you come home. <laughs> they uh, discovered the release of oxytocin may be contributing to a pup's watering eyes. So they cry happy tears when you get home. The study examined whether or not uh, a dog had more tears in their eyes when they saw their owner or a stranger and then studied the effect of oxytocin applied to a dog's eyes. The team demonstrated that people prefer teary-eyed companions. We like it when our our dogs 
you know, have that teary-eyed look. It is possible that the dogs that show teary eyes during interaction with the owner would be cared for by the owner more, according to uh, research from the uh, Azabu University in Japan. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Our dogs crying happy tears when we come home. Isn't that sweet? And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, guys, chew on this for a little while. Consider this. This is big news. Maybe the most important, most significant story you will hear today. If you want to turn your girlfriend on, guys, if you want to turn on your significant other, you want to really turn her on, a new study, the Journal of Sex Research, says that women are attracted to men who do chores. (laughs) He says in his sexiest voice possible. Research involved 299 women between the ages of 18 to 39 who uh, filled out a questionnaire on sexual desire. Women who are in relationships where chores are shared have a greater desire for intimacy. A sense of fairness within a relationship is fundamental to all women's satisfaction and desire. According to psychologists Dr. Simone Boswell and Ava Johansson. So there you go. Uh, if you really want to turn on your significant other, help out around the house. <laughs> so there you go, guys. I'm not making it up. And ladies, you're welcome. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies, expected today with a high of 82. It'll be mostly clear tonight, a low of 60. As the new school year begins, the Finley Police Department says it's received some questions regarding the speed limit in school zones. The sign states the speed limit is 20 miles per hour in school zones, with many school zone signs including the wording, during restricted hours. So what are those restricted hours? The short answer is, it really depends on the school. Many schools in Hancock County have different start or end times, and some have recess while others do not. While Finley High School starts at 7.30 and ends around 2.40, Jefferson Primary School starts at 9.15 and ends at 3.40. Officer Brian White is reminding everybody to slow down and pay attention in school zones, saying most people pulled over for going too fast don't even realize they're in a school zone. Get more on the website. Meantime, as students head back to class in Finley City Schools, they'll notice the updated signage at schools across the district. We have recently updated our signage due to some changes in our buildings and to update that some were weathered and and outdated. We also want our signs to align with our logos and our current branding. Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller get more on the website. Ohio's largest ever economic development project is coming with a big employment challenge. Intel announced earlier this year a $20 billion semiconductor manufacturing operation in New Albany, just northeast of Columbus. The company says about 7,000 construction workers will be needed to build the two factories. Those jobs must be filled even though several other big central Ohio construction projects are already employing thousands. Intel says finding workers won't be without its challenges, but is confident there's enough demand that the jobs will be filled. Dave James, Owen and News. The Ohio State and Michigan hockey teams will play each other in an outdoor game next year. 
The Cleveland Browns announcing that the rivals will play each other in the face-off on the lake at the Browns Stadium in February. It'll be Ohio State's fourth outdoor game and second against Michigan, previously playing the Wolverines at Progressive Field 10 years ago. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. Kids are heading back to school today, Finley City Schools. And one of the big questions on the minds of many parents, are they safe? Several high-profile mass shootings made news over the past year that commanded everyone's attention. And over the past several weeks, the Finley City Schools and local law enforcement have taken some significant steps to ensure that students are as safe as possible in the classroom as they head back to school today. Joining us this morning are Finley Police Chief Robert Ring and Lieutenant Andrew Welch. Gentlemen, thank you both for uh, taking the time today. We certainly appreciate it. You know, the first thing I want to point out, because you know, I don't want to be accused of fear-mongering here, uh, school shootings are kind of like plane crashes. When it happens, it makes big news, understandably so. But there are more than 100,000 school buildings uh, in the U.S., so the chances of it happening at it, any specific one are actually uh, pretty small. That said, just like you train airline pilots to be prepared for any emergency, you know that the chance is never zero. Yes, Chris, there's always that chance. Um, It is a small, small chance, but we do prepare as law enforcement. That's part of our job is prepare for the situations that may happen. You hope they never do happen, but you prepare anyway. And active shooter type situations has been something that the Finley Police has been practicing and working on and evolving for well over the last 15 plus years. Yeah. Uh, And I know, uh, Lieutenant Welch, one of the obviously one of the most significant headlines over the past year was the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And uh, m- the more that comes to light about what happened, the more it seems we learn about how not to react. And I know you recently had what I understand was a, a pretty significant uh, training session at Findlay High School, specifically with that incident in mind. Yeah, uh, yearly we we do train on active shooter response. This year we really specialized in a lot of what did happen in Uvalde. Mm -hmm. Um, It gave us an opportunity to kind of look at ourselves, look at what went wrong there, and just basically a test run against how would we respond in that situation. Um, Like Chief said, we've been dealing with this. We've been training for this for a very, very long time. Um, I feel that we're pretty well equipped, and the fact that we were able to kind of build some nar- some scenarios based around the Uvalde happenings. Um, well, and I think that's one of the interesting things, because, again, you use the airplane crash analogy. In the aftermath of a big plane crash, uh, the investigators come in and figure out what happened so that you can figure out how to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And I, it, you do kind of the same thing. With a uh, with a mass shooting, when it's in the news, you kind of pick apart, you know, what happened and how can we? Yeah, we we break it down as as deep as we can. Um, I actually took some time on my off time and just listened to the entire breakdown. Hmm. Uh, took notes, and it's one of those things that you you hate to watch it, you hate to see it. Right. But if you don't use these opportunities to improve. Uh, then there's really nothing to be benefited from this. So you hate to see it happen, but you take these opportunities to test ourselves, uh, make sure that we have everything in place to prevent something like this from happening here in Finley, and then you just you just strive to, to be the best you can. 
And uh, besides that, I mean, we talk about the uh, training uh, that is an ongoing thing. Uh, just recently, the city schools moved to install an advanced, this high-tech, active shooter protection system. My understanding, their first uh, it's the first district in Ohio uh, to deploy this uh, safe defend system. Was the police department involved in, in that decision? How much do you know about this system? Do you see it as an added tool in the arsenal? And you know? It's definitely an added tool. Um, we were consulted okay. while they were looking around at different options, those kind of things. A demo, we took part in a demo. Um, it, is a, it is a neat system. It is very quick. That's what benefits us the most is it, it is quick and specific with regards to if there is a situation, we're getting notified very quickly and exactly where the situation is so we can tailor our response and to whatever that threat is. I, I guess in the in the most simple terms, as I understand it, is sort of like the uh, fire alarms or their uh, boxes or their uh, stations throughout the yeah, school. Yeah, it's very can, similar to a fire yeah, alarm. But except, you get that specific right. information. Um, and so also earlier this summer, I did, the department reached an agreement with the city schools to allow access to live security uh, camera footage uh, in the event of an emergency situation may not be as flashy uh yeah that's a behind the scenes thing that's been going on for we've been working on getting to this point for several years um it is strictly for us to get in if there isn't a critical incident occurring it, it enables us to be able to get into those cameras view real time so that we can also expedite a response and see exactly where it's happening those kind of things so lieutenant welch again uh because you've sort of been in charge of of the training on this as i understand it you know and, and working very closely with this so it, you take the training, you take the uh, the safe defense system, you take the access to uh, video uh, footage uh, in real time. Those are some pretty valuable tools in your toolbox. Oh, absolutely. In an incident like this, time is of the essence. Uh, the, the quicker we can get in there, the, the quicker we can locate the problem, uh, the more lives we save. Uh, it's as basic as it gets. I wonder, I mean, you can... You can prepare for all of these things, and you can train, and you can, you know, role play, and, and all of that. But again, you reference the reference the shooting in Uvalde. The police uh, and and law enforcement there thought that they had done the same thing, and then in real time, the reaction is different. How do you, you know, how do you make sure that you are as ready as you think you are? I think just the constant training, staying up on it. Uh, we do it every year before school starts. The school's been very gracious to allow us into their buildings. We've gone through several d different buildings um, to actually do the training, so we have a really good idea of the layouts, the operations. Uh, we have a really good team that, as, as the city of Finley as a whole, we're able to work with the teachers, we're able to work with the administration. Um, obviously, you can never say definitively what's going to happen. Right. All I can say is that the scenarios went about as well as they could. Um, everything that we've done, everything that we've implemented, our guys, were, our officers were very, very quick to, re to react and react in the, the way that we need to to secure. It's not just the Finley Police Department uh, either. I mean, there are a lot of uh, interagencies, a lot of agencies that would be involved should the unthinkable happen. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about uh, Hanco. You're talking about uh, the Ohio State Patrol, 
Hancock County Sheriff's Office. Anybody that is a member of the first responder family is going to mm-hmm. be responding to this. Now, when you have these trainings, do you involve those agencies as well? Yeah, absolutely. We do the best that we can do to try to reach out. I know we had Finley Fire involved in this one. Um, years past, we've been able to get Hanco. The, the hardest part is the logistics of it, you know, yeah. getting all those schedules lined up. But yeah. any opportunity we have, we try to extend it out to make it as realistic as possible. And we, we're talking specifically about the relationship between the Finley Police Department and the Finley City Schools. But, uh, of course, you also have St. Michael's. You've got uh, Heritage Christian. You've got the University of Finley. And now I know the UF has their own modest police force. But do you work with these other institutions as closely or as much? Yeah, we've we've done training with U of F PD before. Um, we do walkthroughs at those other schools to get feelings for the layouts, those kind of things, to build open up those communication lines, that kind of thing. The bottom line in all of this, the question, as we said, that, that parents want to know as they're sending their kids back to school, are students as safe as they can possibly be? Is there something more that could be done that hasn't yet been done? I mean, where are we and where would you hope to be moving forward? I think we've taken a lot of steps to get us as prepared as we can on the law enforcement end. What I would stress to to parents and students and those kind of things is the best way to deal with one of these situations is to prevent it from happening. Mm-hmm. And that's keeping everybody keeping their eyes and ears open. And if you hear things, you see things on social media, you you come across information that you feel might be something that's going towards an active shooter school type situation, those kind of things, is get that information to the right people. And, and that can be anywhere from a teacher to the law enforcement to whoever. But yeah. just pass it on so that they can get get looked into and, and go from there. And we talk about the fact that we have not had an active shooter situation, but we have had some of those we have had, incidents. We where, have had incidents that we've investigated yeah. where there's been that concern. And yeah. we've been able to intervene before anything ever was to happen and to find out exactly what it was. And we've never had anyone on that doorstep where they've been ready to cross that mm-hmm. line. Yeah. But um, there's been some concerns that we've looked into and been able to stop it. So it goes back to that, if you see something, say something. Correct. Uh, thing. And uh, Lieutenant Welch, if you could have any additional tool in your arsenal, money is no object, and, and, and it, would there be anything that you say, boy, we really could use this? I think currently the steps that uh, the schools have taken, especially with this latest edition of the Safe Defend, it's going to allow us to to be very quick in our response. The response time is the paramount part. Uh, we, we do everything that we can as quickly as we can. Obviously, if you could have more people everywhere, that, that would always be a great thing. But realistically, I think that Finley has done a lot and taken some really good steps to, to make us as prepared as we can be right now. Some reassurance for uh, parents and families as uh, kids head back to school. And uh, that's kind of where we are. Finley Police Chief uh, Robert Ring, Lieutenant Andrew Welch, thanks very much for uh, taking the time today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, big headlines a few days ago when Dr. Rochelle Walensky, head of the uh, CDC, announced that uh, that agency would be uh, restructuring its operations. I think that was the uh, word she used in order to improve timeliness and accountability in the wake of some missteps during the pandemic. 
And uh, joining us in the uh, studio this morning, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System. He has kind of been sort of the voice of reason in all of this from the uh, very beginning uh, to help us understand and make sense of uh, all of this. So we wanted to uh, ask you your thoughts and your reaction uh, to that news. First of all, you would agree, I think we all would, that there were indeed some shortcomings, some missteps uh, by not just the CDC, uh, but really a lot of agencies. Uh, over yeah, the course I, of the and I think it, it's easier to look backwards and to sure. say retrospectively what happened, but I think right. the communication process, and we didn't do a good job of explaining what we were finding scientifically. I mean, we're going through something like this with monkeypox now, mm-hmm. looking at what data do we really have. We're making a lot of assumptions. But uh, part of it, when it originally started with COVID, is uh, there was a feeling it was droplets or that it was going to be something could be picked up. Right. And there was some data to say that. And so we extrapolated what was being said. And then when, again, in retrospect, it was found, well, this is aerosolization. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no question that people, well, do they know what they're doing? And I think that was part of what she was talking about. Well, and what I uh, thought was interesting and and I guess a little concerning, a little disheartening, was a lot of people seized on that as an excuse to go back and bash the CDC all over again. That You know, they had no idea what they were talking about. It was just a bunch of idiots. They had no idea. And that's not necessarily fair either, because at the beginning, nobody really knew what we were doing. With Correct. To and, and just science in general starts with what data you have, and you come up with a theory, mm-hmm. and then you either try to prove that, or and as time goes on, you're going to learn more, and you're going to add to that. So no, I don't think that was fair, but I still think that the communications just in general were not only ambiguous, but sometimes not consistent. And that just made it more problem because we had diverse groups of population that were using that, both sides or whatever, and it just Mm -hmm. made it really confusing for the person. I remember talking to several grandmothers that just, and they were trying to do their own analysis about who am I supposed to believe and and that became problematic. Well, that's the other uh, question. Again, this is the CDC, and uh, Dr. Walensky only has purview over the CDC. That's her agency in talking about uh, restructuring operations. But does that go far enough? Because I think one of the things that was so confusing uh, during the height of the pandemic is the uh, amount <clears throat> of information, sometimes conflicting information and guidance and best practices from the CDC versus the FDA. FDA versus the National Institutes of Health versus the World Health Organization. I mean, during the everyday course of things, we don't think about all of those agencies. But when you have a public health emergency like this, it's hard for the average person to understand how all of those pieces fit together and what everybody's role is. For, for sure. I mean, just when we went back to the mandatory vaccination, uh, there were different rules came out from OSHA. They applied to doctor's offices, but we were working with the CDC, so we had different rules of what we needed to do. And then there were all of the exceptions without definition. And for the average person, it made it really difficult to to just try to figure out not only what they're saying, what really should we do? Mm -hmm. Do you all know what you're doing? Yeah. How difficult was that for medical professionals such as yourself? I mean, we talk about the fact that, you know, the general public – uh, who are not well versed in 
all of this science, uh, how difficult it was for us to understand, how confusing and how difficult was it for the medical profession to follow all of this? I think I think what was difficult was to just follow what the rules were. In, in general, I will say that um, all medical providers have been trained in the the importance and prevention of vaccines. And so we would have started with a uh, cognitive bias that vaccines are good. There are going to be side effects. There are things that can occur. And then in addition to that, when it became the genetic problem of trying to explain that to someone that, I mean, I know what I can explain, but I, I can't say that I know how mRNA really works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I have a pretty good grasp of it. Right. So those things became, again, the, the somewhat politicized or right. looked at. But I think from the medical profession where we and the people I talked to were more concerned, it became about ourselves is that we were seeing people that weren't vaccinated and we were trying to take care of them. And so that that ended up being a lot more infected. There were thousands of medical personnel that died. Now, that wasn't all because of people not being vaccinated, not saying that. This, this was a bad disease. I mean, mm-hmm. New York City and places where it all started. And so that just became, again, another reason of us, them, and yeah. what people were saying. Uh, a few months ago, uh, there was a, a book that came out by uh, Scott Gottlieb, who was uh, at one time head of the FDA. And uh, I can't remember the title of the book, but I uh, heard an interview where he, in the book, he he talked about some of the shortcomings uh, of these various agencies. Again, the FDA, the CDC, National Institutes of Health, how they all work together and, and how sometimes they are dysfunctional. And the argument that he was making in that book, very similar to uh, all of this, uh, was that there was some underlying dysfunction that was um, exacerbated by the pandemic and kind of brought to light by the pandemic. Would you agree with that? I mean, did this kind of expose some problems that have been there all along? Yeah, I I think so. And I think part of it would have been that there would have been a cohort of people that think, let's talk specifically about covid that we knew something like this was going to happen. We knew we should be doing research and money had been diverted to other places or was not available. And so you had some individuals that way as you were trying to determine policy that people had their own biases. And I think just inside of departments, there were lots of arguments about. And then those messages would get spread, again, back to the communication, mm-hmm. making it even more of a problem. So uh, when... <clears throat> The CDC director says we need to restructure operations to improve timeliness and accountability. This is a big question, and maybe you don't want to take this on, but I'll ask it anyway. Where would you start? I mean, what would be the you know number one on that list? Well, the first thing I would do is I would evaluate the personnel that I have at the higher leadership levels and to make sure that <clears throat> if I'm the person who would be picking, I mean, obviously I'm now the president of the United States or getting pretty close to that, yeah. that we have a consistent idea of what our policy is going to be. Now, and that may be really difficult. Again, I'll use monkeypox just because that's the newest one. We right. don't have an awful lot of data. But then you, you'd, you'd set up your value. And you, we've got to make sure we're consistent in communication, et cetera, as that you look about that. But I think it's going to be a difficult problem because it's really, it's really a big group. And, and again, encompassing multiple agencies, not just the CDC. For sure, which, I mean, 
our federal government is unbelievably big. Yeah. However you feel about that, and with the millions of people that work for it, you're going to have differences of opinion, yeah. but that there needs to be some kind of consistency. Part of it is we have turnover and so who's right. the head of it for a period of time? It, it's right. really a difficult problem. And 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 again, go back to something we were mentioning earlier. It did seem at times as though there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, and, and there were, I mean, public arguments, I think, between high-level people about what their perception, maybe, maybe not arguments, but they would get asked on a news media or mm-hmm. what, and then you'd show the two, well, they're not being consistent at all, which, right. again, is confusing to the average person. Right, exactly. Um, how much trust has been, trust and respect has been lost in all of that and and how difficult will that be to get back is this enough to get that back um i don't know uh, i i think that at a high level you have the just the mistrust of government to start with so you've got that as somewhat of a problem right um i think that there has it has filtered down to even between doctors and patients and especially with what's gone on with the more telehealth, people not knowing that mm-hmm. trust between all professions has become a problem that's going to have to be worked back through. And, and you've seen that on the front line yes. because you're on the front lines of this. I mean, Correct. again, we talk about this at the, sort of the highest levels uh, of, of health, public health, but then it trickles down and, and you see the end result of that. Yeah, and, and, and I think we all remember the things that don't go well yesterday uh, – lady said she wasn't wearing a mask okay well that's what our rules are that's what we have to do and she was a pleasant person it wasn't she just wasn't going to wear a mask and so you remember those cases versus the other 99 that did have a mask on and that makes it problematic too but there is a the trust factor is everybody's kind of looking at this uh what what really should i not only believe but what should i do yeah also want to real quickly ask you, yesterday uh, we learned Dr. Fauci announced that he would be uh, stepping down uh, the National Institutes of, uh, of Health. He really became sort of the whipping boy yes. uh, during the uh, pandemic, which, again, probably not fair. Uh, he has uh, done incredible work over the course of, you know, 60 years or so, the National Institutes of Health from the AIDS <laughs> epidemic through this and Zika and Ebola. And you think of all of those things that could have been huge public health emergencies that weren't largely because of his Correct. work. Um, but one of the things, and I referenced it a little bit earlier in the uh, in the program, there was an interesting piece in the uh, Washington Post, uh, retrospective of his uh, career with that announcement. And one of the things that he said really struck me was that the difference, he was uh, very harshly criticized in the early outset of the AIDS epidemic, uh, much the way he was during the height of the COVID uh, pandemic. But he said the difference was that he was able to engage his critics and find common ground and work together to come up with solutions where that didn't seem to be possible with COVID-19 for a variety of reasons. Would you agree that that's uh, that's one of the things that made COVID so uniquely difficult uh, of a challenge? Yeah, and I, yes. So to answer your question, there was obviously at a really high level a political issue about this, and that made it difficult for anyone, whichever side, whatever that you were doing. Uh, Fauci is one of my heroes. I mean, so, but I have good friends that 
that completely disagree and not really on a political. They just don't think he was consistent or whatever. So I guess you could read into. It was interesting, his background with AIDS, though, how he came around mm-hmm. in his words, at least what I've read, about trying to figure out what to do. Some of the things that he admitted he did he had wrong at the yes, beginning. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Same thing here. Uh, Which a again, good a good scientist should do should is to do. say, yeah. but the data is coming in now. That's not true. Yeah. Really uh, fascinating stuff when you and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, through this quote unquote restructuring of the uh, CDC. It, it certainly so, will be. Uh, yeah. That will be uh, fascinating to watch. Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coe is Blanchard Valley Health System with us this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Chris. 20 years of good mornings on WFIN. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know, when financial conditions are good, they call it a bull market, right? But that, that is not this. An escaped bull wandered into an Israeli bank on Monday and charged through the hall- hallways before being captured. <laughs> not something you see every day at a bank. It's a literal bull. Again, we talk about the financial markets, you know, a bull market. Uh, in finance, but that's that's not this. This is an actual bull uh, wandering through an Israeli bank on on Monday, uh, charging through the hallways before being captured. Video footage shows employees of the bank attempting to lasso the animal, which that must have been rather entertaining. I haven't seen the video, but I'm going to have to look this up. Because <laughs> ba- bankers are not cowboys, especially in Israel. I mean, maybe... You know, in Wyoming or, you know, Arizona, something like that. But uh, in Israel, I'm guessing they're a little out of their element there. An employee of the uh, city of Lod, is that how you pronounce it? Lod, L-O-D, Lod, uh, Israel, uh, was dispatched to the scene and uh, tranquilized the bull, shot the bull with a tranquilizer gun. The bull then was returned to his owner and fortunately nobody injured during the incident. Imagine the uh, owner of the bull was advised to keep better control of his Hannibal there. Wow, it's been quite the sight. Uh, let's see, that from the international file. Closer to home, uh, our obligatory story out of Florida here this morning. Uh, <laughs> 49-year-old John Schneider uh, was arrested last Thursday after allegedly stashing a package of meth under a police officer's vehicle during a traffic stop. <laughs> he tried to hide his drugs by stashing them under the cop car. Uh, Mr. Schneider is being patted down when he reportedly dropped a bag. Um, <laughs> one of the deputies is heard saying on uh, body cam footage, uh, you dropped a bag, kind of looks like dope there. <laughs> Hey, you dropped something. <laughs> it was later reported that the bag in question contained half a pound of methamphetamine. Mr. Schneider denied the drugs were his, but deputies said they later found another gram in his sock. <laughs> that kind of that kind of ruins your excuse, doesn't it? That kind of invalidates the Oh, they're not mine. This is mine. This is <laughs> 
This is a crazy story out of uh, New York where a man and a woman um, are facing felonious assault charges after cops say they attacked a McDonald's employee. According to reports, a 21-year-old woman got into an argument with an employee at a drive-thru in Long Island. Authorities say that led to the two suspects entering the establishment, walking behind the counter and striking the young employee multiple times before getting back in their car and driving away. It was like if nothing happened, as if nothing happened. It wasn't long before police caught up with the pair and uh, placed them under arrest. It doesn't say what precipitated the attack. It's just a uh, crazy story. I don't know if they got their their order wrong, but that seems rather extreme. (laughs) Not enough ice in your drink? What? Fries not hot enough? It just seems a bit of an extreme reaction. Uh, Let me say a little restraint, I think. Uh, Here's another story uh, involving an individual from Massachusetts. What was it yesterday? I think we had had two stories, not one, but two stories out of Massachusetts suddenly has become a hotbed for people behaving strangely. Uh, This actually took place in New Hampshire, but involved a Massachusetts man who apparently was uh, on vacation. Uh, The the man, the name of uh, Brian... Chevalier, age 35, from Boylston, Massachusetts, uh, was in New Hampshire when he suddenly, and for no apparent reason, stripped down to his birthday suit and scaled the roof of a hiking shelter, a shelter house along a hiking trail, <laughs> the, the Appalachian Mountain Club. Um, the... The uh, naked wonder, it says, caused quite the scene standing on top of the shelter house and threatening bystanders. <laughs> I don't know what he was threatening them with. If he was naked, I'm not sure I want to know. But uh, New Hampshire Fishing Game uh, was uh, called to respond. They had to hike nearly three miles to get to the location. <laughs> uh, they say the man was clearly agitated and very naked. When they arrived, they spent an hour trying to coax him off the roof. Um, uh, about four hours after the first report came in, Mr. Chevalier agreed to climb back down. He was escorted to a nearby parking lot and now faces several charges. No one injured in the bizarre incident. It is unknown what set Mr. Chevalier off. <laughs> I don't know exactly what he was upset about, <laughs> but... It- it must have been must have been something big. Must have been something important. Uh, we're stripped down naked and uh, climbed to the top of the shelter house. <clears throat> well, you go hiking in the great outdoors to see nature, and that's nature. Oh, natural. <laughs> Again, not what they had in mind. And finally, in the broken news this morning. Uh, this also from the International File, so a bookend with a story from the International File to start and one uh, to finish up with this morning. This is from Thailand, in the uh, Thai province of Shonburi. Is that how you pronounce it? Again, I'm not a man of the world, so I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing here. This happened this past Thursday. Beachgoers were shocked to find what they believe to be a dead body washing ashore on the beach. Uh, but it turned out that that was not the case. Police discovered that the human-like object was actually an adult doll. <laughs> uh, the way it's written in the report, <laughs> in the police report, was not a body. 
It was a doll used for intimate purposes. <laughs> I, I love the verbiage there. I love the way they put that. An adult doll used for intimate purposes. The uh, Japanese doll known as the AV Idol costs over $500. So you would think that uh, somebody would be missing this, but nobody had apparently reported it missing. The toy was removed and is being kept at the station, at the police station, in case the owner comes to claim it. <laughs> the doll, it says, was wearing clothes, but was found headless. I could see where that would uh, cause a bit of a stir on the beach. You know, uh, that would be rather disturbing if you happen happen across that just at random. There you go. Uh, that is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives, particularly for students heading back to school, Finley City School students uh, heading back to class today. A new survey shows that listening to music while you are studying can help your grades. In this survey, they used a GPA of 3.2 as sort of their benchmark, their baseline, and 84% of those in the survey who opened a playlist along with cracking their books reached that benchmark compared to 78% who studied in silence. So a little bit of music actually helps. Uh, 60% of respondents said that they studied better with something else playing in the background. Uh, maybe nature sounds or even a podcast or something, just something in the background. Uh, when it comes to music, classical music was the most common study aid tied with nature sounds at 30%. Not far behind were R&B and country music at 28%, podcasts at 24%. Uh, 80% of those who listen to music say it helps them absorb information better. 81% said it made learning more enjoyable. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to students. The survey found that 89% feel more productive at work when they have a little music uh, in the background as well. Well, money is tight these days. You don't need me to tell you that. Everything costs more and it's squeezing everyone's budget. But new data from CreditCards.com finds that many of us may be leaving money on the table, as it were. Industry analyst Ted Rossman is with us this morning. And we're talking here about $21 billion worth of gift cards, vouchers, and store credits that are going unused. And I was flabbergasted by that number, Ted. That's right. It works out to $175 per person on average. That's up from $116 last year. I can tell you when we first started doing this research a few years ago, I thought, no way, I don't have gift cards lying around. And lo and behold, I checked and I had way more than I thought I did. So I think I've gotten better over time. Um, 
I think I still have just one that's a pretty small amount. Um, but that's the homework assignment for all of us is look around, check that junk drawer, your wallet, your purse, your glove compartment, wherever these things might be hiding. I think you might be surprised how many unused gift cards you have. And I think putting them to work could be a real inflation-busting strategy. This now, is free money that might be lying around. Well, that's the that's the bottom line. And and I'll be honest, like you, I, I do have, I know, one prepaid Visa gift card in my backpack here that I've had for more than a year. Uh, I think it's got a dollar and some change left on it. And, and that may not be a big deal. But uh, again, you're not talking about, you know, little stuff like that. You found some significant amounts uh, that are just sitting there. That's right. $175 a person on average. For some groups, it's much more than that. Uh, millennials, for instance, have an average unused gift card balance of $226. Wow. I think that a lot of times it's just out of sight, out of mind. And you, know, you get something, you stash it somewhere, and you forget it. Sometimes it's a store that you don't really like, or it's not that convenient to get to that store or restaurant. I have a few strategies here. Obviously, if you can, the best use is to use it yourself. Um, but if, for whatever reason, that doesn't make sense, maybe you can give it as a gift or buy something for somebody as a gift. Uh, if it's a weird remainder, maybe you could round it up to a more socially acceptable amount. A lot of times you can put more money on these gift cards. So you have $7.22, you know, maybe you load it up to 25 or 50 or you give it to somebody as a gift that way. You can also resell these. You won't get the full value, which is why it's not my top choice, but mm -hmm. I still think getting 70 or 80% of what it's worth might make sense. Um, there are sites like CardCash, Raise, and ClipCard that let you exchange gift cards for money. Now, yeah, and I think that's a, a good point because I can hear a lot of people saying, yeah, I, I have a gift card or two, but they're for a store that is, or a service that I have no use for. You know, what am I supposed to do with that? There are ways of uh, may, taking advantage of those and, and using those to your advantage financially. You know, this, the cynic in me uh, says that the, the store's kind of like that when you've got unused uh, gift cards because they've been paid for and yet you don't consumers are not taking any services or, or products in exchange. But that's really the bottom line that these are paid for either you or someone who gave them to you. Uh, I spent actual money to purchase them. So we're talking real dollars. It's not like people underutilizing coupons or something like that. Yeah, I think that's the main idea from a consumer standpoint is put it to work. It's not going to get more valuable over time. In fact, inflation is eroding the value. Uh, we also found 29% have let people have let a gift card expire at some point. 25% uh, have lost one. 19% have failed to use a gift card before a business went out of business. Uh, sometimes I hear from people with like this graveyard of old gift cards from Toys R Us and yeah. Radio Shack, and you're out of luck there, unfortunately. From a business standpoint, you're right. Retailers do benefit if you don't use it uh, to some extent. They do need to have this as a liability on their books, um, although at some point they can claim at least some of it as 
revenue. Um, but at the very least, it accelerates their cash flow in the near term. Sometimes people overspend a gift card, so then they benefit in that sense mm. that you're paying extra. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Starbucks has more than a billion dollars worth of unused gift cards wow. on its books. Um, now, they have a strategy where they incentivize people to load up a gift card in the app. And it, my wife does this. And it, it's kind of a trick because it, it makes the drink feel free because like you've already paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely using your gift cards. It, it's kind of like that finding the $20 in last winter's code. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's free money. Might as well use it. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up a point and I wanted to ask you about this. How often do gift cards expire nowadays? I know years ago, there's this huge consumer outcry about expiration dates and service fees eating up the value of gift cards and store credits that went unused for too long. Is that still a concern? It's gotten better. If a gift card expires now, it has to be at least five years in the future. However, these gift card operators can charge inactivity fees after a year of non-use. Okay. Um, so that's one way that they get people, unfortunately. So again, check uh, your drawers, uh, check your uh, wallet, check your backpack, wherever it might happen to be that you might have stuck one of these uh, because there's a good chance that you have one or more. And it's interesting as you break down the numbers that this crosses all age groups and all income levels. It really does. Yeah, we found that from an income standpoint, 41% of the lowest income households have one of these. It goes up to more than half once you cross that $50,000 a year income threshold. Mm -hmm. uh, from a generation standpoint, a little over half of Gen Zers and Millennials have an unused gift card. Uh, it's more than four in 10 Gen Xers and Boomers. And yeah, this is definitely a big deal. And I just think between what's going on with inflation and money's tight. I mean, if you have this average of $175 of gift yeah. cards lying around, yeah. you could get some nice merchandise or dinners out, or it, it really is like free money just sitting around. Absolutely. So uh, definitely check for those. Chances are good that you have one or more. And you've got uh, more data on this. Uh, folks want to look at the numbers, which I think are really fascinating, but also uh, more advice and, and ways of putting uh, these to, to good use at your website, right? We do, yeah. Creditcards.com, more on this, and also other information about credit card rewards and getting out of debt and all that good stuff. All uh, important information, especially these days. Creditcards.com, industry analyst Ted Rossman with us this morning. Ted, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that will finish off our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And as always, remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, author Karen Slaughter talks about seeing her best-selling thriller, Pieces of Her, adapted into a successful Netflix series and returning to that world in the new follow-up novel, Girl Forgotten. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.